All right. This week, I just want to get right into it, and I want to pick up where we left off. If you've been with us, you know that we are in the middle of a series in King David, looking at his life, looking at um, all that he did and all that happened to him, looking at the Old Testament. And one of the running themes of our semester here has been learning to read and learning to treasure the Old Testament better. We have done many things to try to equip you to read the Old Testament in a way that helps you not only understand it, but helps you want to read it and to to treasure reading it the way that we far uh, so often open up the New Testament and read as well. So I want to, like I said, I want to pick up where we left off last week, but I I don't want to pick up uh, where we left off in the passage or even in the the next passage. Um, What I mean by picking up where we left off is I would like to pick up the thought that I ended on last week. Now, if you weren't here or if you need your memory jogged, I ended uh, our time with just a little bit of a rant, if you remember. Like, I went through our points, I went through the scripture, and then I went on this little rant about um, how we read the Old Testament and um, this concept of wanting to be like David or putting yourself in the situation of David. And I I went through both sides and I told you, it's okay. Like, it's desirable that you would see David's life and you would want to model your life after many of those things, especially since we were covering the biggest story of them all, David and Goliath. So we worked through that and that last point was really about being like David. But if you remember, the last thing that I said was that it's okay to want to emulate David and to be in that place because the things that we want to emulate in David's life are the things of Christ. And if you'll remember, I had these points on the screen, points that were about David and showed you how each and every single one of them was true about Christ as well. Christ was the one who saw the world for what it really was. He saw the true spiritual battle of the world. Christ was the one who received criticism. Christ was the one who was zealous for God's glory. Those were all things that were true of David, but also true of Christ. And that's what I want to pick up on tonight. I want to pick up on the concept of David pointing and being like Christ. So just like last week, we're going to start a message a bit different tonight. I'm going to start with an explanation, and that comes with a question first. Um, I want you to just think, uh, how many of you, and you don't have to raise your hand or anything, but this is just a question to all of you. How many of you would be familiar if I were to use the term, the term typology or types of Christ? Maybe you've heard it that way. Some of you maybe might recognize the term type of Christ. Maybe if there's any of you theological nerds out there, you would recognize typology. But I'm going to guess that many of you don't really know what that means, even if you sound, if it sounds familiar to you. Well, tonight, that's what I want to talk about. That's what I want to do is is help you understand and read the Old Testament through understanding types of Christ. And that's actually the, the title of this message is Types of Christ. And I want to go over the definition first and then sort of kick off the rest of our night before we open up our passage. So here's the definition of what a type of Christ is. I'm just going to say it to you, right? A type when we, when we say type in Scripture, what we mean is that it's a person, it's an event, or it's an institution, like an organization or, or something that happens. So it's a, it's a person, event, or institution in the Old Testament 
that corresponds to a person, event, or institution in the New Testament. To put it in layman's terms, it's something that happens in the Old Testament that points to something in the New Testament or leads to or foreshadows or corresponds to. That's what a type is. So when I say type of Christ, what I mean is it's an event or a person or something that happens in the Old Testament that points us to Christ, that corresponds with Christ. And this isn't just some theological term that we made up. This is something that's biblical. This is something that we see in Scripture. Actually, this is something that we see Jesus do himself. So I'm just going to read a few to you. In John 3.14, Jesus is teaching on who he is, teaching on the Messiah. He's heading into uh, having this conversation with this Pharisee. And one of the things he says is he mentions Moses. And in 3.14, he says, as Moses was lifted up, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, so the man, the son of man must be lifted up. He points to this Old Testament story where the people of Israel were dying and being bitten by snakes and all this stuff. And so God had Moses fashion this bronze snake, lifted that snake up, and all that looked upon the snake were saved. And Jesus is saying, just as the Israelites looked upon the snake, so too will you look upon the Son of Man. He's using a type of Christ. Do you get it? An Old Testament event pointing to Jesus. That's not the only time Jesus uses that type of language. In Matthew 1240, he mentions Jonah. Most of you are going to be familiar with Jonah, and a lot of people say Jonah and the whale, right? Jonah and the big fish, however you want to define it. But one of the things that happens to Jonah is he gets swallowed by this fish, and how long is he in there? Three days. And Jesus says, for just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of a great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So Jesus is taking an Old Testament passage and corresponding it to what he is doing or what he is going to do. That is literally a type of Christ. That is what we're talking about tonight. Like that, that right there is the way that I want for us to read the Old Testament tonight. Because I want to help you like I said, understand the Old Testament. I want to help you treasure it. I want you, when you open up the Word of God in your time, in your devotion time, to be able to read it and to be able to allow it to point you to Christ and the redemptive history. And for you as a Christian to read what has happened in years past and see how it relates to your faith now. That's what I want for you, and I want to help you do that tonight. And so tonight, we're going to have a little more of an exercise or a practice. If you remember uh, last week, I had you read a chunk of the passage to yourself before I opened up the rest of it. Tonight, we're going to do something similar, but also just a little bit different. What we're going to do in just a few minutes is I'm going to give you a chance to read the entire chapter that I'm about to go over. I'm going to give you a chance to read through it, and on your own, just for a couple minutes, Look for those types of Christ. Read it and see if you see them. Read it and see if anything reminds you of Jesus and who he is. Now, I'll tell you, I chose a passage that it's right in the middle of our series. It's a passage that lines up perfect with the timeline. It's after David and Goliath. And next week, it's like just before everything happens with Jonathan and Saul. Next week, Regent's actually going to be preaching on the relationship of David and, and Jonathan. So it's like just sort of before all those events. It's perfect in our series. But honestly, it's, it's 
sort of like an average passage, okay? It's not famous. I guarantee most of you have not read it more than a few times. It's sort of one of those chapters that you might know, but you're not referencing on a daily basis, okay? This is like the perfect Old Testament passage for us to do this, but I guarantee you there are types of Christ in this passage. I guarantee you that you can see them. And so I want to give you a chance to do that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray for us. I'm going to pray for you that as you open up the word of God, you'll be able to read it. Go ahead and turn to 1 Samuel chapter 22 if you're not there. If you don't have a Bible, you can open up the app on your phone, or honestly, you can just open up Safari on your phone or whatever and just type in 1 Samuel 22, and you'll find it, and you can read through it. I'm going to let you read through the whole chapter. So I'm going to pray for you, and then I'll give you just a few minutes to do that. Lord, thank you so much for your word. Father, as we open it and as we study it, Lord, as we spend a few minutes combining Bible study with Bible preaching, I pray that you would mix the two like only you can. And I pray, Lord, that um, those in the room would be encouraged by what they see in your word and would be encouraged by what they get to experience. And, And Father, I pray that you would use this chapter to just point them to Christ. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and read chapter 22. We've got just a little bit of music to help with the, the coughing and the, and the whispering and all that stuff. Um, but just go ahead and spend a few minutes, and uh, I'll go through it too, and we'll come back and go over it together. I realize I probably should have given you a little bit of context into the passage before you just read it, but hey, I'll just trust that to the Lord. Let me give you a little bit of context now. Um, really, some of the, you don't need the context to, to see the main things, right? But Some of the context is David went to a temple, asked for bread. This Doeg the Edomite saw him there. And then, as you see in this passage, Saul's like, hey, no one's telling me anything. And then the Edomite's like, I saw David. And he's like, kill everyone. And that's pretty much what's what's going on. So let's, let's just cover it. I pray that you've seen at least just a little bit or maybe like words that remind you of the New Testament or instances and and maybe you see some things that I didn't see and maybe I see some things that you didn't see. The whole point is even if you just find one of them, right? Even if you just read it and one thing points you to Christ and what you know of him, one thing points to something you've read in the New Testament, what a great time of study it was. Because you have the rest of your life to continue plumbing the depths of scripture. You don't have to catch everything all at once, but just, just to see it and to be able to reflect on one of them and treasure God's word, that's enough. So here's what we're going to do for the rest of our time together. I'm going to go through just some of the ones that stood out to me. Um, I don't have a manuscript tonight. I'm not just preaching through a, a certain thing. I literally just wrote down the ones that stood out to me and supporting verses in the New Testament, and I'd like to just share them with you and hopefully just open your eyes to all the different connections that you can see in the New Testament as you read the old. So here's the first one I noticed, first point for tonight, is that in verses one and two, the thing I noticed was that David gathered the lowly to himself. David gathered the lowly to himself. Now let's look at verses one and two again. It says, David departed from there and escaped to the cave of Adalam. And when his brothers and all his father's house heard it, they went down there to him. And everyone who was in distress and everyone who was in debt and everyone who was bitter in soul gathered to him. And he became commander over them. 
and there were with him about 400 men. Now, the reason this stood out to me is because one of the things we see about David is, is who were the people that were inclined to gather with him as he was out in the wilderness? Who were the people that were inclined to gather with him when he was there in this cave? Not only his father's house, not only the people who it might make sense to gather, right? Not, not only the people that you'd look at and be like, well, that's, that's David's brother. Of course, he's going to go, right? But who else? Those who were in distress, those who were in debt, right? Debt. And everyone who is bitter in soul. If you look at, if you have ESV, you might have a little footnote there with like a, a one next to soul, and in the bottom it says discontented, bitter in soul. It's a great way to say uh, poor in spirit, great way to say uh, lowly, those who have been humbled, those who are on the dregs of society. And so what stood out to me is that this reminds me of Jesus. This reminds me of exactly who Jesus is. Just as King David, as I'm reading here, a man who's after God's own heart, naturally, instinctively had those gathered to him that were poor and lowly, right, and in debt, so too did Jesus. Like, here's just a a few examples. Like, it says in Corinthians that God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring things, uh, to bring to nothing things that are. Like, it's talking about how God is the type of God who gathers the low and exalts them. It reminds me of Matthew 5. When Jesus says, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You recognize that term, poor in spirit? It's actually really similar to the term of bitter in soul or discontented in soul. Or Mark, like the Mark, just an example of Jesus. And it says he reclined at table in his house. And who did he recline with? He reclined with tax collectors, He reclined with sinners and his disciples. So he was with those you would expect to be with him, his disciples, and those you wouldn't expect to be with him. Tax collectors, sinners, poor in spirit, lowly people. I think that's amazing. I think that it shows that a man who is after Uh, God's own heart has the character and qualities of someone that invites in those around them that are lowly and poor in spirit. It encourages me to follow more after Christ because I see what David is doing here. So that's the first one that I saw was that David gathered the lowly to himself and that reminds me that Jesus gathered the lowly to himself. Here's the next one I saw, verses 6 to 10. I put David's enemy utilized the things of the world. David's enemy utilized the things of the world. Let's look at verses 6 through 10 here. Verse 6, now Saul heard that David was discovered, and the men who were with him, and Saul was sitting at Gebeah under the tamarisk tree on the height with his spear in his hand, and all his servants were standing about him. So he's, he's standing in a place of power. That's really what you need to understand. Like He's standing in a place of power, ready, armed, 
It just shows the, the purpose that Saul had, right? In verse 7, And Saul said to his servants who stood about him, and here's where I'm sort of grabbing this, Here now, people of Benjamin, so he's talking to Israelites, tribe of Benjamin, Will the son of Jesse, he's talking about David, Will the son of Jesse give every one of you fields and vineyards? Will he make you all commanders of thousands and commanders of hundreds that all of you have conspired against me? No one discloses to me when my son... That's Jonathan. We're going to learn about him next week a bit more. No one disclosed me when my own son makes a covenant with David, son of Jesse. None of you is sorry for me or discloses to me that my son has stirred up my servant against me to lie and wait as at this day. And then answered Doeg the Edomite, who stood by the servants of Saul, I saw the son of Jesse coming to Nob, to Himelech, and, to, and the son of Ahitabab. And he inquired of the Lord for him and gave him provisions, right? So he rats him out. That's, that's what happened. So here's what stood out to me. That's a lot, right? But I want to teach you that there's, just, there's some basics that can just stand out. And what stood out to me was the first thing Saul says, right? Is, is, is the son of Jesse, is David giving you the whole world? Is he giving you all these things that you would betray me? Can he give you the command of thousands? Can he give you all the land? What does it show? It shows that Saul, who is the enemy of David at this point, treasures things of the world and even uses it in conversation to try to either bribe, discourage, or force people into doing what he wants. Because what's he really saying? He's trying to reveal to them, like Saul the king is trying to reveal to these people, David can't give you everything you want. Can he give you a million dollars and a house on the hill? Can he give you the thing that you desire most in life, the, the house with the white picket fence and the two and a half kids? Right, whatever it might be in the American dream, what, what he's saying is he's leveraging wealth, people, power. He's leveraging them by saying, like, David can't give you these things, so you should talk to me. David's worthless because he doesn't provide those things for you. Talk to me. And maybe, secretly, he's also promising those things, right? He's the king. He's their king. He can promise them riches. He can promise them favor. And so in the same sentence, not only is he bringing it up, but coming from the mouth of a king, he can be promising it too, right? And so what stood out to me is that David's enemy is utilizing the things of the world to sort of goad these guys into talking about David and saying anything, and, and, and it works. You see that? Like, it actually worked because Doeg, the Edomite, which it doesn't say that he said anything beforehand, doesn't say how long he had been sitting with Saul, but after Saul said that, Doeg's like, yeah, this is my time to shine. I'm going to say exactly what I need to to get David in trouble and sort of talk about what's going on, and it actually worked. And it reminds me of all the times. I mean, Americans in general have a, a vague understanding of the teachings of Jesus. So let's just start there without even any, any specific scriptures. It already reminds me of the fact that what Christ teaches us is not to value riches, is not to value things of the world, is not to value what the world can do or what the world can give to us. It reminds me that those are the very things 
Now we're getting into specifics. Those are the very things that Satan himself tempted Jesus with in the desert. Beginning in Luke, Satan takes Jesus out into the desert and is like, you can have food. Turn these rocks into bread. Takes him up to the pinnacle and says, like, you can have all these kingdoms. That's power. Those are the very things that Jesus was tempted with. Like, I'm reminded of that. I'm reminded that Jesus himself didn't have anything. Like, just as David didn't have anything, Jesus didn't have anything. This is Matthew 8, 18. It says, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes, birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. It reminds me that Jesus said in Matthew, he didn't have riches of the world. If you're asking, it's Matthew 8, 18 to 20. Got you. And so, yeah, is that one that might be uh, a stretch? I don't know. It didn't seem like a stretch to me. Maybe it didn't, it didn't stand out to you, but that's sort of the whole point, right? Like, I'm reading this. I see this, and it reminds me of things that are absolutely true, that I'm able to support with Scripture, but it stirs my heart to remind me that Christ valued these things and he taught these things. This is one of the ways we can read the Old Testament. Just gonna, I'm going to keep on emphasizing that, right? Because I want you at home reading the Old Testament on your own as well. So here's the next thing I noticed. David's people served and followed the true king. David's people served and followed the true king. I put a big chunk of passages here, right? Verses uh, 6 to 17. I just read verses 6 to 10, right? So I'm just going to continue in, in verse 11 there. So I'm at 22:11. Then the king sent to summon Ahimelech, the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, Hear now, son of Ahitub. And he answered, Here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, and that you have given him bread and a sword and have inquired of God for him so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day? Then Ahimelech answered the king, And who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No, and not, and let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father, or for your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, you shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house in it. And here's what I saw in it. Saul calls this man up, says, you betrayed me. You betrayed me. You betrayed your king. That's what he's, he's the king. He's King Saul, right? You betrayed me. And what does Elimelech say? I will be faithful to David. He's the servant who's done nothing wrong. I will be faithful to him. And what he know he's saying is, I will surely die for him. If you remember back in this series, one of the things we talked about was David is the true king. David was anointed king already, but hadn't taken his place on the throne yet. If you remember Regent's message from a few weeks ago, he actually spent a large chunk of his time after being anointed king actually running from the current king and, and hiding in caves like we're looking at here. But he is the king. 
and will be the true king of Israel. He's the one that God has blessed. And priests, like this guy right here, they knew that. They knew who David was. They knew that he had been chosen by God. And they served him and they followed him. Like David's people served and followed the true king. Just like people of Christ serve and follow the true king. It just reminds me in general, right, of, of all the passages and, and all the scriptures of how Jesus is the king of kings. He's the Lord of lords. All the passages that talk about how our citizenship is actually in heaven, like we belong to him, and this place is just borrowed time, right? This place is our temporary home because we belong with Christ. Like he's our true king. He's the one that we serve. He's the one that we follow. No matter what king or president or dictator or whatever might speak to the people of this earth, we follow King Jesus, the true and faithful servant of God. That's what, that's what said out to me, right? And I didn't even have a specific scripture in that, but I know that to be true. And it stirred my heart to remind myself, I need to follow Christ no matter what. I need to follow after him no matter what. Even if my life is at stake, I need to be willing to say, no, I will serve him. Just a couple more. I'm going through these quickly. Next one I noticed, David's people died for their allegiance. This sort of touches on what I just read, right? David's people died for their allegiance. Look at verse 19 with me. Verse 19, and Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword. So, not only did uh, Saul have Doeg, the Enemite, kill uh, Ahimelech, but also we see here the city of priests he had put to the sword, both man and woman and child and infant and ox and donkey and sheep, he put to the sword. That's, that's the Old Testament way of saying he killed them. He had this entire city of priests killed. The men, the women, the children and the infants. Verse 20. But one of the sons of Ahimelech, the son of Ahitub, named, I'm getting these names, Abiathar, escaped and fled after David. And Abiathar told David that Saul had killed the priests of the Lord. And David said to Abiathar, I knew on that day when Doeg the Edomite was there, he would surely tell Saul, I have occasioned the death of all the persons of your father's house. Stay with me. Do not be afraid, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safekeeping. So the, like I said, the first thing I noticed is that David's people died for their allegiance. They died for their association with him. An entire city was put to death because they associated with those that stood with David. And what does that remind me? It reminds me that in this world you will have trouble. As Christ said, it reminds me that those that claim the name of Christ, they'd only put themselves at risk, but those that associate with them at risk. It reminds me that right now, at this very moment, we have brothers and sisters in Christ who are being put to death in other countries, whose whole houses are being burned down and being kidnapped and captured because they associate with those that follow Christ. It reminds me of that. 
It reminds me that the people that we prayed for before my message, the, the unreached people group, it reminds me that the people we're praying for to actually go be those missionaries, to actually go out and preach the word to them, it reminds me that what we're praying for is that they would put themselves in this kind of danger and they would put themselves to be willing to die for the association of Christ. It reminds me of those things. That's good. I want to pray for those people. I want to pray for them. I want to raise up more of those people. I want to be encouraged by them because I'm sitting here at Quorumdale Bible Church in this really comfy church, right, with really nice lights and sound systems. And like, I'm so blessed that I can know Christ and love Christ and not be put to that yet. It stirs my heart to just be thankful to God. David's people died for their allegiance. Just like when Jesus says in John, if the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. John 15, 18 to 20. I got one more for you, all right? And it's very closely related to what we just read. It's in the last verse, but it's that David offers David offered safety. David offered safety. Look back there at verse 23. What does he he tell um, the one that survived the slaying of the city, right? He says, stay with me. Do not be afraid. And this line, for he who seeks my life seeks your life. With me you shall be in safe keeping. So this reminds me of the passage I just read to you, right? Jesus said, world hates me. They're going to hate you. That's literally David saying, the one that seeks my life, he seeks to kill you too. If he's going to want to kill me, he's going to want to kill you. Like that lines up perfectly with it, right? But what does David promise him? He promises him safe keeping. Now types of Christ, they don't have to be exactly, right? Like Jesus was never swallowed by a whale. Right? He wasn't, he wasn't in, a, in, a, in a fish for three days. He was in the grave right? But they correspond. And what I see here is that David offered safekeeping to those that associated with him. He offered safekeeping to those who would be persecuted on behalf of him. And what it reminds me of is that Jesus offers the same thing. He offers the same thing. Now, not in my physical safety. Like Jesus never promises me physical safety, but what does he promise? He promises in Matthew 11, come to me, All who labor are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What I'm reminded of when I read this passage of Christ is that Christ offers me that. He offers me peace. He offers me safety. And I don't mean safety from the world. I mean safety for my soul. Like he offers me a safety that no one else could provide but God himself. And for that, I'm thankful. So yeah, this was a different kind of message. This was not me going verse by verse. Clearly, we were in this passage, right? Clearly, we went through a good chunk of this passage. But what I wanted to teach you, and what I love about the beauty of Thursday nights is I don't have to just 
open the word and preach verse by verse. I can work things with you guys, right? This isn't Sunday morning. This is us gathering on Thursday nights. We can do these things. We can learn to read the Bible together. We can love the Bible together. I can encourage you and push you in these things and talk to you about them immediately afterwards, right? So just want to encourage you, the next time you open up the Old Testament, if you feel overwhelmed, if you feel lost, if your reading plan has you in numbers, okay? You open it up and you think, how is this going to point to Christ? And you find something in there. It's like, this points to Christ. This law totally makes sense. This reminds me of something Jesus said. And you let it stir your heart and your affection. And it's just one of the many ways you can read the Old Testament. But I pray it's been an encouragement for you. I'm going to pray for us and your continued reading. And then we'll get into the rest tonight. Lord, thank you so much for this time. Thank you for your word. Lord, thank you for just the ability to have different things on Thursday nights that are real-life applications of what it means to open your word together, Lord. I pray that you would use nights like tonight to further our own individual reading of uh, your holy text, Lord, that um, you would grow us, Lord, that as we read a chapter like that, that we'd see one thing that serves our hearts for you, and the next time we read it, we'd see another thing, Lord, and the next time we read it, we'd see another, and Lord, I pray that you would reveal to us that there is no end the depth of your word, Lord, but that we can plummet forever. I pray, Father, that you would allow us the joy of being able to savor your word that way, that you would increase it in us, not only through nights like tonight, but especially in times like the retreat coming up. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen.